0: Hey, it's Jules. You know, unfortunately, addiction has touched most of us somehow, some way. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a loved one in their life who struggles. But how are we supposed to love that person? And what are we doing that is helping? What are we doing that is hurting? Kim Maniachi, Executive Director of Walk of Faith House, Addiction Recovery Ministry for those struggling with addiction and also their loved ones, joins us on another edition of The Jewel Show. And Kim,
1: tell folks about what y'all are doing at the Walk of Faith House. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We're a 12 to 15 month Christ-centered regeneration program, um, primarily focused for women, but we also want to help the family members that come alongside Um, And it sounds a little contradictive that we're 12 to 15 month in house because we don't have a house right now. Mm. But we also know that in the meantime, God's doing great things while we're building the ministry. And so we are doing small groups right now that are focused on both women that are struggling with addiction and also their their family members, primarily women, but we do have a co-ed group too. And so we are coming alongside and helping them walk through the next steps of what addiction and addiction recovery looks like.
0: Well, and Kim, you have a a deep heart because before (laughs) we even started recording, she and I were talking... Um, off air uh, of just of, of her passion and her heart to see um, people restored, and those are the people who are um, struggling with addiction, but, but also the families and mm-hmm. the people that they love and the people they had hurt over the years with their addiction right. um, to be
1: restored. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about your story, if you don't mind sharing. Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a family that everything looked okay from the outside and um, also often referred to as the Norman Rockwell family. But on the inside, that was not necessarily what was happening. Um, I had a, and what, was there a lot of temptation to keep that facade going? Absolutely. All the time. And um, I had a grandfather who was an alcoholic, but he quit on his own, literally cold turkey. So he never really thought he had a problem. Um, And then his son, my uncle, um, became an alcoholic and literally died um, drinking himself to death. Wow! But I remember from a very young age, we we would go to a lot of different meetings to try to fix my uncle. And I remember just probably I was 10 or 12 years old thinking we're never going to fix him unless he wants to get the help. Um, But being a kid, I never really listened to that. So I know that God has prepared me for this journey from a long time ago. Um, But my heart is really for the entire family because I know how it affected all of our family gatherings, how it affected Hmm. um, just day to day life. I remember sitting through Al-Anon meetings for weeks on end every Monday and Wednesday night trying to fix someone that didn't want the help. And so my heart really goes out to the entire family because it really does affect every member of the family. But Jesus Christ is the only answer, no matter where we're at in right. the journey or where we are in the family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and sometimes it's taboo to even discuss it. Correct. So when your uncle was at that Thanksgiving
1: meal and, and doing things he shouldn't have done, was it just don't even look at it? Or Correct. We just completely ignored it. Um, and he would always bring in the the water bottle that obviously didn't have water in it and um, would always show up late and leave early, went out a lot, but we just kind of ignored it. And um, that was just the way it was. Yet the rest of the week or the rest of the month when there wasn't something going on, we were talking about how we were going to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. But they loved him in such a way that we made it okay while he was there because we were grateful that he was there. But the reality is we knew there was so much better for him.
0: Well, you know, Kim, as, um, I grew up in South Georgia. Mm-hmm. And we're all about making people feel comfortable. Right. And that it's, you know, how I was raised is that if you make someone feel uncomfortable, that's not being a good Southerner. Correct. So <laughs> it. I mean, there's a lot of social um, barriers that we put up
1: towards Absolutely. helping someone find sobriety. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of times we take it on. What did I do to cause this problem? Yeah. And I don't want to have any responsibility sure. in this at all. It's all about them. And that's not the case. We all play a part. Whenever there's interaction with two people, something's going to go wrong. And it's OK. That's just part of being human. Um but I really, my heart is for us to work together to get to the core of what the issue is. The reality is alcohol, substance abuse, whatever that is, is simply a Band-Aid for a much deeper rooted issue. Mm-hmm. And my desire is for us to get to the deep rooted issue that only Jesus Christ can fill that.
0: All right. So from your experience then with your uncle and your grandfather and just have an addiction that y'all did not talk about, what are some things that we can do? And I say we, that means, mm-hmm. you know, people that or loving somebody who's in the middle of
1: addiction, what are some things that we can be doing right now to help? To help, if they don't want the help, there's not much you can do to help. So it's figuring out where your boundary line ends with helping, and where helping and enabling become a different issue. And so I know it's a term that's been around a long time, but there is such a thing as tough love. And um, sometimes telling them no is the most loving thing to do, even though it seems backwards. Um, Telling them you're not going to help them anymore even though you feel you need to because they're family. Um, it's knowing when saying no is going to help them for the long run as opposed to just the short term.
0: Okay, but on the flip side, and, and I'm just sharing it with yeah. my experience is I feel like if I don't help this person, then what if they die? Okay, but if I stop doing blank, then this will happen.
1: Right. And, and that this is a very harsh reality and very, very well could be the case But if you know that you have done everything that Jesus Christ has asked you to do and you're obedient to what he has asked you to do and you've prayed for that person, ultimately it's their choice. And that's sometimes really hard to swallow because you love so hard. You love them. You want the best for them. But we're all responsible for our own choices. And that is the hardest part of this, because we know that not everyone's going to say yes to getting help. Hmm. And that's hard. So how does a ministry
0: come alongside um, families and loved ones that Hmm. are saying, Oh, Kim, it's hard to let go and realize that God is in control Mm -hmm. and that I cannot play the Holy Spirit, that I cannot play God to the person that I love deeply. Right.
1: Well, and we offer a lot of resources through other ministries that are doing it really well. And so we have partnered with a lot of ministries and a lot of times we'll find out what is the biggest issue Uh and it might not be the substance abuse. It may be something different. And so we have different ministries that we go ahead and tell them about and get them connected with. Um, But for each person individually, we offer a freedom small group. And that really is just undoing the onion of our lives with all the different layers of hurts and undoing all of those hurts of the past to have us walk into complete freedom of Jesus Christ and what that looks like and undoing even some negative input that we may have gotten from church growing up or from Mm. people that we love. Um, But just seeing what the word of God says about this hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you can put that person that you love so deeply in God's hand and leave. absolutely 100%. And that's the best place for him. Mm-hmm. And God loves them so much more than we ever can. And sometimes it's hard to understand that. And especially now that I have a kid, mm-hmm. I can't love him anymore. But to know that God loves him even more. It's hard to wrap my head around, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And and so to hold on to what's true and what's lies. Correct. Because the lie is,
0: is that if I don't manage and I don't control, Mm -hmm. then this will spiral out. 100%.
1: And are we living by those lies, which a lot of times go along with what the world says is the right thing? Yeah. Or are we living by the truth of what God says? And one of the biggest um, verses for me has been that verse when they come to Jesus and say, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, who are my mother and brothers? And he says, they're the ones that do the will of my father. And we're trying to, we're bringing together a community of a family that is following what God has asked us to do. And sometimes our own family is going to turn on us. Mm -hmm. But we have to be obedient to what Jesus Christ has called us to do.
0: So I can only imagine how critical these small groups are for the family members and then also for the addict, just having somebody that can say, I know how that feels.
1: Absolutely, 100%. I know.
0: I mean, because it's it's one thing for us to talk about putting your loved one in God's hand and and, and letting that loved one stay there, not picking it back up, because that's what right. we do. I mean, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll do that with my own children. Here you go, God, there are your children. Oh wait, but not this. Let me let me let me take over this little aspect. Right. So having another family, another person that says, "I know what that feels like,"
1: mm-hmm. um, but you can do it, absolutely. And you know, like when you said, we are handing someone off. But if you don't see God answer in the timing you want, well, I, he probably didn't hear me. So let me just grab them back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really walking that through. And, and without we, I refer to them as my family. But without that inner group of my family and friends, I don't know where I would be. I have mm-hmm. to have that, that relationship. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it talks in Ecclesiastes, a, th- a three-string cord is so much better. And um, having those people in our lives, isolation is really where we get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so having that community and whatever that looks like and where, you know, you're supposed to be is really what makes the difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these are um, small groups. If you're listening and you're like,
0: I need that, Kim, I need that at my church. I need that in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim is looking to start this all over our state. it's going to be the walk of faith house um, ministries. And so, um, because this is, I know you're doing it, um, in one
1: region of our state, but Correct. you're looking to expand. Absolutely. partner. Right. And and we know from the beginning of this dream that God has called us to be multi-sided and we really didn't know what that looked like. Um, we have literally been our, our own walk of faith and um, watching what God has taken us and the doors that he is opening. Um, but we know that wherever people are at, they need to know the love of Jesus Christ and the freedom that he has.
0: Mm-hmm. And because no matter where you live, addiction causes a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. and and. and needing to know how to get past that pain. I mean, how, how do we, because you, you know, that one person that says, Oh, I'm I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And mm-hmm. they don't. Right. And, and so forgiveness
1: is not just something you forgive in the past. It's something that I have to forgive what they did last night. Correct. And it's constantly walking in that forgiveness. And even if they say, I'm sorry, and they do it again, do I choose to forgive them again? And, you know, scripture says 70 times seven. And absolutely we do. Um, But we also don't have to continue to put ourselves in that position of being hurt, but we do have to forgive them.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's where um, a small group.
1: Absolutely. That
0: will, a group of people that will point you back to God's truth. 100%.
1: Yep. Yep. And and, you know, you talked about, you know, getting them to the next level and their rock bottom might not be my rock bottom. And so Mm -hmm. you can watch someone go to the very depths Of what you said, hey, if that was me, I would stop or I would have stopped last week. But that doesn't mean that's where they want to stop. And they're going to continue to go until they have literally hit their rock bottom. And we want to be there for when the pain of change is less than the pain of where they're at, because that's when they will take that step towards changing their behavior and changing the choices they're making. Well, and you just kind
0: of teed me into my next thought I had. And another question I wanted to ask you is that how do we love somebody that's an addict Mm -hmm. and that and and then then let me tell you something when i say addict i know you have this visual of what an addict looks like i mean they could be um, addicted to alcohol to
1: drugs but you see a lot of types of addictions absolutely um you know even shoe shopping or shopping can be an addiction Uh, i think cell phones are becoming an addiction there's so so many different places where we're trying to fill a void that only jesus christ can fill and just because my addiction i love food Um, Just because my addiction doesn't look as life changing and possibly could kill me doesn't mean it's still not an addiction of some sort. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all over the gamut, all over um, where people are coming from. And I think that's what people are seeing in the Freedom Small Group. They're like, hey, wait a minute. I have to stop and look at my own life. So often we could become so focused on the person with the addiction that we forget about ourselves. Mm And when they can start, the person that is actually walking through our doors for our small group can see a difference in their lives, then they can start loving the addict much, much better because they're loving through more of the eyes of what Jesus would have them love through. Even though they thought they were, they're seeing a different aspect. So one way to love somebody that's an addict is to see, see yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we all have played a role in it at some part. We don't know. I may have hurt someone 20 years ago and I don't know that, but that hurt may have caused them to spiral in a a negative direction. And so there are always parts that we're always going to play in other people's lives, unfortunately. And we don't walk into life going, hey, I want to hurt the next person I see. But it does happen. Is there such a thing as a typical client? No, because I guess if you're going to say typical client, they're human, they're breathing. And that would be our most typical client. Um a lot of these women have walked into the small group thinking, "Hey, I'm going to fix so and so." And they walk out going, "My life has changed because I had an encounter with Jesus Christ I didn't know was possible." So, as long as they're breathing, that that's our typical client.
0: Is there something today that I could stop doing? Mm-hmm. That maybe I'm possibly doing? <laughs> In the life of my of my friend and family that might be struggling with addiction, is there like a common thing that you see over and over again? Somebody is doing, and you're like, just just stop that today. If there could be one takeaway to stop,
1: yeah, one thing a takeaway. Um, a lot of times we're enabling and don't even realize it. And you know, enabling can be in so many different ways, from saying yes to giving them that next five dollars to um, yes, you can sleep on our couch. Um, and there are times that that is a necessity. But there are times that if they're asking on a very regular basis, okay, maybe if I took that away, if I stopped helping in this manner, but that is so Holy Spirit driven, it is so s- driven by what God is asking us to do, because we don't know how he's working on their behalf either. So I always have to look at all the situations from here's what God's downloading in me, but I don't know what he's already done for them. And so where do these intersect? Hmm. Do you have a person
0: or family in mind whose story is especially touching to you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, her name's Layla, and um, she was one of our very first gals to walk through our Freedom Small Group, and she's just been an incredible um, example of watching what God can do in and through her life, Layla Smith. And um, just I can take you back to the moment I first met her in a parking lot when she was doing community service, had just gotten out of a treatment program, and um, I'll never forget meeting her. There was just an instant connection, and that was long before we were doing any type of small groups, but she was the first person I called when I said, here's what we're trying out. And she was the first one to walk through the door and just to see what God has done in and through her life in the last year that we have been doing the Freedom Small Groups and really getting to know Layla more. is just absolutely awesome and is a great reminder of why we do what we do. And Mm -hmm. I know she is one incredible person and there are so many more Laylas out there that need exactly what she has found in Jesus Christ. So
0: Layla is with us and Layla, I appreciate your willingness um, to be used by God. And not to have any areas of your life that you say, okay, God, not this area, not this part, um, that you're um, willing to be vulnerable. Um, yes. Because um, your story can be so much used um, by God in the lives of others by offering them hope. So would you go back and and tell us the, the Layla um, that we don't know? Because I look at you now and I think, now, what now like what's your past <laughs> so so um so tell everybody that Layla that so okay. hard to believe is part of your story first
2: I just want to tell you what a privilege it is to be here um a sharing because I've seen in my recovery how many people it changes just being able to be as open as you're asking me to be right now um before my recovery I was um a meth addict from 16 17 years
0: old so 16 was your first time you took Mm math yes do you remember that moment yes yes I do
2: and it was a choice of mine um in my recovery I have found I've pinpointed the time because it took me a long time to figure out what made me do that and um, yes at
0: 16 that's so young well
2: I had to for a a probation officer one time I had to write my biography because I couldn't Mm. finish something that he had a class on and and when i was writing my biography i like remembered everything from elementary school i mean i had a wonderful childhood like nothing my parents were wonderful everything was great so you're like why did you you know i had been able to remember my teachers names my friends names all through elementary school and up, up to middle school i had a best friend pass away to a brain tumor And um, that kind of separated me from my little girl clique, you know, when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade is the beginning of eighth grade, but all through seventh grade, i spent, you know, weekends at the hospital, Um, I'm hanging out with her and there was just a lot of time spent with her being sick, you know, that I had um, devoted myself to. And and I would have never thought that if I would have tried to view my life, which I have a hard time seeing the future, and that might be one reason that kind of had me stuck, you know, but... I would have never viewed my life as being an addict. I didn't choose that. Nobody does. I started out with marijuana, and then it went at to... What, at what age? Um, about the same age. 16.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's 16 was a, a pivotal... 15, probably, with marijuana. Okay, so that was a pivotal time right there in mm-hmm. your life. hmm
2: And it got to the point before I was 20 that that's the only thing I thought about. And when I woke up was... Getting that, and that was my day adventure. You know. Well, um, and
0: and so tell me about your family then, because you said that you know you came from a great home. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the pain that was inflicted with the addiction for your parents started m- when their little girl was fifteen and sixteen.
2: Yes. Um, like I said, my parents were wonderful. Um, we had a garden every summer that you know we had a lot of family time together. And we eat meals at the table. Um, they didn't go to church, but my dad was raised in a church, and my grandmother's the one that took me to church um, as a child. I was never mistreated, I didn't have everything I wanted by no means, you know, but I was never mistreated. I was loved, yeah. even through my addiction, I was loved. and I think that's a a big part of where my strength comes in, just being being loved and being forgiven. So you knew that there was a God that loved you yes absolutely. even though
0: your best friend well I knew
2: there was a God and I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong
0: okay but you didn't have a relationship um I thought I did I guess I was
2: baptized when I was 12 um I guess if our relationship was where it needed to be I wouldn't have went downhill instead of you know mm-hmm. around you know when when I lost my best friend um because she was her dad was a pastor one of the Pastors that filled in, you know, when the pastor was sick, mm-hmm. he kind of traveled around a little bit. Um, I mean, she kept a Bible, a little a little handheld Bible under her pillow, mm. so
0: she knew, yeah, God probably more than I did. The track that you went on with uh, marijuana and meth, fifteen and sixteen. Um, what happened after that? Because I am sure it just got more and more. Like you said, the next thing you could think of was when I was I was going to get high again. Right. Um, it was definitely a daily goal.
2: To, um, I partied for a couple of years, but I I got out of that partying, you know, really early when I had my kids and, and everything. I was still a what I felt as a good mom. Meth become like coffee to me, you know. It was just something I needed every day to get going. And I still, you know, cooked dinner and and I still, you know, spent time with my kids. Um, but it was definitely something I needed every day. Mm-hmm. And How I were your children. Well, one's 22, one's 18, one's about to be 15, and one's about to be 8. At that time, what, how old were they? Oh, they were toddlers. It was my 22-year-old's whole life, you
0: know? Uh-huh. But so your addiction, you felt like you were managing it, like you said, like a cup of coffee. Yes.
2: Yeah, I never really claimed to have an an addiction like I did. I never claimed it um, until after I started going through recovery.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you said that you managed it, um, you know, taking it meth because that's, you know, just a little bit, but you had your children, Mm -hmm. when did it get out of control and your addiction was controlling you?
2: In my 20s. I mean, I was able to quit like when I was pregnant and stuff. So that being able to quit kind of gave me that I'm in control feeling. And there's, I know there's people out there that's unable to quit and I'm, I don't know where to, you know, separate the two, but I was able to quit and, and it might've been my relationship with God that was built up, you know, that helped me with that. Cause God definitely was with me my entire life and he took me through it to get to where I am today. Um, I think the addiction started getting out of control from the very beginning. I mean, I quit school. I had a child I had, um, before I was married, I, um, got in trouble with the law and, um, ended up spending a couple of nights in jail at 19. So from the very beginning, I think, I think from that very first let me try it or well, however that goes, um, and this is for the teenagers out there that have yet to or or have that thought of trying it, um, don't. Choose not to. Always choose not to. Because once you choose to, then there's that path. So nobody really wants that. Well, what
0: made you choose to do it?
2: I think it's because I was having a hard time um, in school just with my friends. Like I said, I kind of fell out of the little girl clique that I was in. And um, I think that my struggles in school had me wanting to skip school. And then I hung out with people that weren't in school and a couple years older than me maybe ended up being a couple years older than me. And that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So that's where it Cross my path.
0: And what were your parents saying and doing at the time when you said, you know, you you were using meth and and you were only thinking about that and dropping out of school and getting in trouble with the law? I mean, at this point, you know, you're young. Were you even twenty then? And you kind of had to start a yeah. No, my first record.
2: trouble with the law was nineteen.
0: Nineteen. What were your parents? I mean, what were they saying? What were they? What were they doing?
2: Well, they were steadily telling me that I was making the wrong choices. That um, they would. Kind of forecast where my future was heading, you know, and and it seemed, you know, as they forecasted it, that's exactly the path that I took. And I'm not sure why, um, because he forecast my dad was very good at forecasting it. But um, one thing I remember um, younger than before I started using was I had an uncle, his brother. You know, he he was really bad on with alcohol and he was kind of the misfit of my dad's family. And I was compared and compared to him. Oh, you're, if you keep acting like that, you're going to be like Greg. You know, whatever. Wow. And so, um, that's one thing I I like to tell people not to do is to compare if they're not doing those things like exactly. Don't compare them to someone who is on you know the wrong path.
0: So the labeling that that yes. label is so powerful. So mm-hmm. that you they were you were labeled as the. Problem. Yeah. The rebel, the... And so you kind of owned that title and ran with it. Yes. How far down did you go? What was your bottom?
2: Well, that addiction continued through my 20s. I had my last child when I was 32, so probably about 35 is where it it went from just being an addict to breaking the law. Like, I had um, just gotten... I was in a new relationship and I didn't want I had 3 kids, you know, but this is before Matthew. I had 3 kids, I was in a new relationship and I didn't want to lean towards my new um boyfriend to have to you know to take care of my children that I had, you know, previously and and so I actually started shoplifting um to provide some things that my kids needed. And um at the time I just, you know, for whatever reason would make up excuses to make it okay. Um,
0: and when you say shoplifting, I mean what are you what are you saying? Are you talking pack of gum? I mean No, I'm talking like food, well, for
2: some reason our food stamps was was cancelled on me and I'm not sure exactly why that was now at this moment. But we I lost my ability to have food stamps and so it started out with food um and then it was like school started so it was kind of like school shopping clothes um new shoes new jeans kind of thing and then you know not too long from that christmas come around and so because i didn't want to ask for help and there was people helping me um because they knew i needed like my sister my family and stuff but um there was just things i wanted for my kids that i couldn't really i just thought you know that i needed to provide for my children Um, And that's how I ended up going about it, shoplifting. That was about, that addiction lasted for about a good two years.
0: When I find that interesting, Layla, that you say uh, shoplifting was my other addiction. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we kind of think addiction. We have label what that looks like and the descriptives. And so thinking shoplifting can be an addiction, but it can. Absolutely. And I feel it's just as... Bad as if you had a credit
2: card and you was shopping and running your credit card, you know, to the to the limit when, you know, you can't pay the the bill on the credit card. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's kind
0: of the, I've seen people do that and I feel like it I compare it. Mm-hmm. I so like this was yet again another high for mm-hmm. you. So it mm-hmm. wasn't a chemical high, but it was a high of. I eventually got away it, with it got it. to be like that. Yeah, eventually. Uh huh. So um, so you then were you still using at the time? Yes. Okay, so you're using your shoplifting. Was that your bottom?
2: Yes. The shoplifting ended me up in jail. The first time I was caught, it was just a big secret. It was like a nightmare secret um, because the first time I got caught, I was able to be on misdemeanor probation. I was able to be bonded out of jail. um, So nobody really knew. Mm -hmm. I got out of jail. I'd done misdemeanor probation for about a year and then that was that. And then I got caught again and done the same thing. So my parents had yet to know. And the third time I got caught, I was still on misdemeanor probation from the second time. And the third time I got, where I could not bond out, and it was an automatic felony, because wow. it, I guess you do um, the same offense, you know, more than three times or. Three times and it's automatic. And the secret was out. Yes, that's when my parents were. My mom was like, "Um, "Do you have a problem with this?" Like, and I was like, "No." Still, I was in denial. So your parents were completely unaware how
0: far down you had gotten.
2: Yes, I put I put out um, that I was doing really well, of course, because I was providing these things for my kids, so they automatically thought that I was doing well. So, what
0: kind of feelings? did your loved ones have? I'm sure shock? Oh,
1: yes. Fear, shock, anger? Shock,
2: disappointment. But there was also that wonder of why at the same time. I mean, like I said, they loved me. Yeah. And love the way I feel is is just a a lack of judgment. And so they never turned their backs on me. They, they knew through my addiction they was always there to help. Always. When I went to jail and couldn't get out, you know, they helped with my kids and, Got them back and forth to school and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky Mm -hmm. for that um, because in in most people's situations, they don't have that. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and Layla, being um, in jail with now a felony, is that when you could hear God's voice the loudest?
2: Yes. Um, That actual time I was in there, they gave me six months. Um, It was actually a 12-month sentence, and I did half of that in um, that six months I read the Bible. I thank God for that six months because, I mean, you don't really have time to just sit down and read the whole Bible. You know, um, it was actually a way to go back to sleep. I kind of try to sleep my time away. And so reading puts me to sleep. And everybody that knows me knows this. Reading puts me to sleep like this. But. I actually managed to read the whole Bible in six months. So he had kept me awake, you know, for that amount of time.
0: Well, Layla, you just said something that I think probably would blow people's mind is that I thank God for those six months in jail. Yes. I mean, that's huge because most people would be like, that was the worst time of my life. That was, oh, well, how was, can I get out? But it you was saw the that worst a, time of my life. But you see it as a blessing. That's that yes. when you could hear God's voice, the the, the the loudest and the clearest. And what were, what was God when you got locked up with a felony from shot lifting and drugs and doing it your way and hiding it so well from so many people. Uh, what was something that you can remember God saying to you?
2: I'm um, not really sure that I heard God speak to me until well into my recovery. Once our relationship had grown, um, I was always a very humble person like in jail. You can continue Your trade or whatever, your addiction, you can continue things, your personality in jail. Um, But maybe because I was older, I'm not sure. But I was definitely not trying to continue the things that got me there. So I got along well with the officers and they never had a problem with me. And even when girls would get into arguments or something, I'd always be there to try to talk them down, you know, from arguing because that wasn't the answer. And I didn't want to hear it, you know? So, um, but honestly, I'm not really sure. It mm-hmm. took a while for me to to hear. It's been very recent for me to actually hear things that he was saying. But I mean, I knew he had me on this path. Not at that time, I didn't know.
0: And what does he say to you? Well, what what is like a theme in your life that you're hearing God? Because I, I, you know, how God speaks to me is a lot of times it's it's one theme, and it can be something that's that's almost like a drum beat over and over and over again wherever I go, wherever. Uh, I music I hear I hear it whatever friend I talk to I hear it whatever sermon I go to it's a common theme that I I feel like I can't turn left can't turn right without hearing that same exact theme so in in the midst of um, your recovery um, was there maybe a theme that God kept on saying over and over over you my gut feeling
2: was always super strong I just never listened to it and he's kind of telling me you know that that's him and that um, now I know, like, totally to listen to it. And it and it comes, you know, my gut feeling just comes and goes in different situations. I listen to it very well now. I know if I'm going the right place in the right time or, or not. Right. And he just keeps lining things up. And I've always been a real thankful Christian, you know. I'm always like, thank you, you know, my kids are healthy, my kids are beautiful, my kids are smart, you know. Thank you for my car, thank you for whatever is just... Today, thank you for mine and Kim, you know, hanging out this afternoon. It's a blessing to me. Um, meeting you is a blessing to me. Um, being here is a blessing to me. Um, so I'm just a very thankful person.
0: Tell me about your family's healing because you you covered it for, for many, many years and they were shocked when they found out you had a felony and that you were behind bars. Um, so where are y'all right now? They're able to enjoy their
2: life now. They're able to relax and knowing that um, I'm surrounded. I've surrounded myself with great people like like Kim and in these groups, the freedom group. And and just knowing because every time I talk to them, I'm like, oh, this is what I'm doing today. You know, so they're able to relax. It's very nice to know that I'm not causing them so much stress as I was before.
0: Did you have to have that moment where you ask for forgiveness?
2: Yes, and it was probably like everybody else on the phone, you know, that little 15 minutes you get while you're in jail, um, that I asked for forgiveness. Um, But my parents, they never, like I said, they loved me, and that's without judgment, and so they never really, they did kind of, you're going to be like your uncle if you don't quit, you know, making these decisions, but he was totally right, and I was totally going down that road, so
0: our our relationship is very strong. Mm-hmm. Well, if somebody is listening and um, and they have a loved one that is struggling with any type of addiction, what would be um, what would be something that we could do today to love them better? Um, prayer.
2: Pray for them to listen to that small still voice. Um, uh, tell them that. It is their decision to make and leave it with them as being their decision to make. Continue to love them and from a distance if you have to, but let them know that it's their choice Mm. and let them know that there is always that opportunity whenever they feel like they've had too much or they feel like they're just done. Like hear that when you feel like you're done and you're tired, that's that's where you need to be. There's a lot of people that's made the choice, you know, to go into recovery without going all the way to the depth that I went to as far as um, being in jail not being able to get out and having felonies and stuff like that. You don't have to go that far. You know, <laughs> I was just very stubborn. When you hear that I'm tired and I've had enough, just look up, you know, because when you God's there, he's waiting on you. He's never left your side. You might not feel him or hear him or see him, but he is always right there. And as soon as you're ready to to come out of this life that you're living, then then step out of it and look up because he's ready to hold you there.
0: Well, and like you know, Layla, addiction is not individual. Like it's not, it doesn't just impact the addict. Because you, like you said, you had children mm-hmm. in the home, mm-hmm. and um, when you were um incarcerated you had to find child care for your family and your, and your I mean for your children your parents stepped up and took mm-hmm. care of your children um, how um, was the healing for your children I know you talked about your parents but how about talking to them as a mother to a child about this is what mom's done this is what well
2: I've definitely asked for forgiveness yeah. for my kids and apologized to them um, many a times and my oldest will tell me that everything that he went through with me was just building who he is. And so he doesn't hold it against me at all. None of my kids do. They've never told me that they're, you know, they've never lashed out, you know, it's all your fault or kind of thing, you know. And then if they did, I feel like it would be their choice if that's what they want to blame it on, but it's still their choice if they want to go down that that route. You know, they can use me as an excuse, but it's still their choice if they want to go down that route.
0: Well, and um, talking with Kim about the the ministry that God's laid on her heart to start, um, Walk of Faith House, is that um, it's about restoring um, the person struggling with addiction, but the entire family. So the last couple of minutes we have together, would, would you tell us about how God has restored your whole family? Well, everything that
2: I've learned um, along this path, I have shared with my kids and my parents and some things they knew already and some things they were interested in you know finding out more information on i just feel like the freedom group really opened my eyes to to several different things that i had not really captured yet um one of the things is the tree of life you you can live you know as far as the tree of life this is just something that it kind of tells you in in the group curriculum there's the tree of good and evil and you can focus more on the good than the evil you know you can you can kind of lean in that direction if you choose to, if you're aware, you know, and live more on with the tree of life and and also the how powerful the tongue is, you know, you can um, you can bash with a tongue or you can heal with a tongue. And so things that you say, things that I say, I always take note in now more than ever from the freedom group is, you know, I try to say positive, uplifting things. And if I'm thinking something negative, I just kind of stick it in my back pocket and leave it there, you know. Because um, it doesn't help anybody. It's just like driving down the road with, um, like you can get road rage or you can pray for the person that's having the issue because it's them having the issue. It's not you until you make it your issue. My family are learning these things, that, you know, as as I share them. We've all grown uh, a lot through my, my addiction. Um, we've learned a lot and grown a lot together. I don't um, know if that answered your question. No, yeah,
0: it does. <laughs> well, because, um, you know, addiction, it's it is, it is um, it's wide and, and it's far and it can be very painful. Yeah. And so it was painful for you and just hearing your story about the pain you you, infl- uh, you, you inflicted on yourself at age 15, 16, mm-hmm. starting marijuana, starting uh, meth mm-hmm. um, and uh, and the pain you inflicted on your parents and your children. Um, but God um, Is sovereign over all And he redeems everything Even my sin <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and uh, even the sin that we think that's, that's too far for God That That's not true
2: There's no such thing That's right um, I would have never thought When I was sitting in jail for that time That I would be able to feel the way I feel today um, As far as being free From those sins You know Like I said God's always there So when you're ready to to choose to quit, then just quit, and and he's going to take you through it. It's a challenge. It's a obstacle, you know, to get into recovery and stay there. Um, because all I knew was doing meth for all those years. It was longer than I I was fifteen or sixteen when I started. Well, it was twenty five years that I that I managed to live and do it. So there was more years doing it than not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all I knew. I just kind of worked around it. But now I would never have thought then that this day would take place where I've, I mean, God's took me through several different things that's just eye opening. Just like when me and Kim met, met in the parking lot, I just um, finished the RSAT program with the government, like the DOT. And and so while I was there, there was a choice to go to church every night if you wanted to. And there was only about 12 out of 200 ladies that chose to go, But I took it all in, and there was some that I didn't really like, and there was a lot that I really liked. And I had um, opportunity after opportunity, and I just kept taking the opportunities, making the right choices.
0: Well, and that should bring somebody a lot of hope that if you were able to find um, redemption, 25 years of using meth, because meth is not something that you can just easily put down, um, and that God could heal you, um, there is hope. Um, through the power of Jesus. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's the truth. I mean, that's the, you, you can't white knuckle yourself out of that. You can't, you know, be loved out of it through your mama and your daddy mm-hmm. or your siblings, or you can't. And um, and I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable with us. And Kim, um, you're seeing uh, families be restored. You're seeing people find healing through Jesus with any type of addiction. And uh, Layla was sharing with us, you know, meth and marijuana. And shoplifting, but there's addictions all over in, in many different forms and in many different packages. Absolutely. And um, and I appreciate uh, your ministry, Walk of Faith House. Um, this is Kim Maniachi was with us. And um, Kim, if someone wants to get a small group started in their church or they want to reach out and be involved with what God's doing, um, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so you can just reach us at walkoffaithhouse.com. And um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And our phone number is 470 two five eight four three two one and then you can help them get something like this started or go on the next step and just talk through what they're looking for and um, what that looks like for them and um and i was just thinking with layla our tagline is rescuing lives and reclaiming identity and it's reclaiming our identity our identity and who we are in jesus christ and she is a shining example of of that well hey both of
0: y'all i appreciate y'all joining us and um And sharing um, about the hope that we can find in Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Jules. Thank you.